0: Chapter Six, Part A of Greener Than You Think. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Greener Than You Think by Ward Moore. Chapter Six. Mr. Weiner sees it through. Part A. Whether it was from the exposure I endured on that dreadful trip, or from disease germs, which must have been plentiful among the continental savages and the man who rode me back to England, I don't know. But that night I was seized with a violent chill, an aching head and a dry, enervating fever. I sent for the doctor and went to bed, and it was a week before I was myself enough to be cognizant of what was going on around me. During my illness I was delirious, and I'm sure I afforded my nurse's plentiful occasion to snicker at the ravings of someone of no inconsiderable importance, as he lay helpless and sick. Pepper and pencil you kept calling for, Mr. Weener, and you that helpless, you couldn't hold up your own hand. You said you had to write a book, The History of the Grass, to parge yourself, you said, Lord, Mr. Weiner DOCTORS DON'T PRESCRIBE PARGES NO MORE? THAT WENT OUT BEFORE THE FIRST WAR." I never had a great deal of patience with theories of psychology. They seem to smack too much of the confessional and the catechism. But as I understand it, it is claimed that there exists what is called an unconscious, a reservoir of all sorts of thoughts lurking behind the conscious mind. The desires of this unconscious are powerful and tend to be expressed any time the conscious mind is off guard. Whether this metaphysical construction be valid or not, it seemed to me that some such thing had taken place while I was sick and my unconscious, or whatever it was, had outlined a very sensible project. There was no reason why I shouldn't write such a history as soon as I could take the time from my affairs. Certainly I had the talent for it, and I believed it would give me some satisfaction. My pleasant speculations and plans for this literary venture were interrupted, as was my convalescence, by the loss of the Sahara depots. When I got the news my principal concern wasn't for the incalculable damage to consolidated pemmican. My initial reaction was amazement at the ability of the devil grass to make its way so rapidly across a sterile and waterless waste. In the years since its first appearance it had truly adapted itself to any climate, altitude, or condition confronting it. A few months before, the catastrophe would have plunged me into profound depression. Now, with the resilience of recovery added to Miss Francis's assurance, it became merely another setback soon to be redeemed. From Senegal, near the middle of the great African bulge, to Tunis at the continent's northern edge, up through Sardinia and Corsica the latest front of the grass was arrayed. It occupied most of Italy and climbed the Alps to bite the eastern tip from Switzerland. It took Bavaria and the rest of Germany beyond the visa. Only the Netherlands, Belgium, France, Spain, and Portugal—a geographical purist might have added Luxembourg, Andorra, and Monaco—remained untouched upon the continent. Into this insignificant territory and the British Isles were packed all that was left of the world's two billion people. A blinded, starving mob, driven mad by terror. How many there were there, squirming, struggling, dying in a desperate unwillingness to give up existence no matter how intolerable. No one could calculate any more than a census could be taken of the numbers buried beneath the grass, now holding untroubled sway over nine-tenths of the globe. Watchers were set upon the English coast in a manner reminiscent of 1940. I don't know exactly what value the giving of the alarm would have been. Nevertheless, night and day, eyes were strained through binoculars and telescopes for signs of the unique green on the horizon, or the first seed slipping through to find a home on insular soil. Miss Frances's optimistic news had been communicated to the authorities, but not given out over the BBC this was an obvious precaution against a wave of concerted invasion by the fear obsessed horde beyond the channel while they might respect our barriers if the hope for survival was dim a chance pickup of the news that the grass was doomed would be sure to send its destined victims frenziedly seeking a refuge until the consummation occurred If such a thing happened, our tiny islands would be suffocated by refugees, our stores would not last a week, and we would all go down to destruction together. But, in the mysterious way of rumor, the news spread to hearten the islanders. They had always been determined to fight the grass, if necessary, as the Chinese had fought it till overwhelmed. Indeed, what other course had they? but now their need was only to hold it at bay until the new discovery could be implemented and there was good chance of its being put to use before the grass had got far beyond the rhine now we were on the last lap my interest in the progress of the scientific tests was such that i insisted upon being present at every field experiment for some reason miss francis didn't care for this and tried to dissuade me both by her disagreeable manner Her eccentricity, craziness, would undoubtedly be a more accurate term, increased daily, and by her assurances I couldn't possibly find anything to hold my attention there. But of course I overruled her and didn't miss a single one of these fascinating, if sometimes disappointing, trials. I vividly recall the first one she had reiterated there would be nothing worth watching even at best no spectacular results were expected but i made myself one of the party just the same the theater was a particularly dismal part of dartmoor and for some reason probably known only to herself she had chosen dawn for the time We arrived cold and uncomfortable in two saloon cars, the second one holding several long cylinders similar to the oxygen or acetylene tanks commonly used in American industry. There was a great deal of mysterious consultation between Miss Francis and her assistants, punctuated by ritualistic samplings of the vegetation and soil when these ceremonies were complete four stakes and a wooden mallet were produced and the corners of a square about two hundred by two hundred were pegged the cylinders were unloaded set in place at equal intervals along one side of the square turncocks and nozzles with elongated spray jets attached and the valves opened a fine mist issued forth settling gently over the staked out area Miss Frances, her toothpick suspended, stood in rapt contemplation. At the end of thirty minutes the spray was turned off and the containers rolled back into the car. Except for the artificial dew upon it, the moor looked exactly as it had before. Well, Weener, are you going to stand there and gawk for the next twenty-four hours, or are you coming back with us? I could tell by their expressions how horrified her assistants were at the rudeness to which I'd become so accustomed I no longer noticed it. It's not a success, then? I asked. How the devil do I know? I have no crystal ball to show me tomorrow. Anyway, even if it works on the miscellaneous growth here, I haven't the remotest idea how the grass will react to it. "'This is only a remote preliminary, as I told you before, "'and why you encumbered us with your inquisitiveness is more than I can see. "'You're coming back tomorrow, then?' "'Naturally. Did you think I just put this on for fun in order to go away and forget it? Weener? I always knew those who made money weren't particularly brilliant, "'but aren't you a little backward even for a billionaire?' There was no doubt she indulged in these boorish discourtesies simply to buoy up her own ego, which must have suffered greatly. She presumed on her sex and my tolerance, taking the same pleasure in baiting me on whom she was utterly dependent as a terrier does in annoying a St. Bernard, knowing the big dog's chivalry will protect the pest. When we returned, the square was clean of all growth as though scraped with a sharp knife. Only traces of powdery dust, not yet scattered by a breeze, lay here and there. I was jubilant, but Miss Francis affected an air of contempt. I've proved nothing I didn't know before, merely confirmed the powers of the deterrent under optimum conditions. It has killed ordinary grass and some miscellaneous weeds, and that's all I can say so far. What it will do to inoculated cynodon Dactylon, I have no more idea than you but you're going to try it on the grass immediately no i'm not she answered shortly why not wiener either leave these things in my hands or else go do them yourself you annoy me i was not to be put off in so cavalier a manner and after we parted i sent for one of her assistants and ordered him to load a plane with some of the cylinders and fly to the continent for the purpose of using the stuff directly against the grass When he protested such a test would be quite useless, and he could not bring himself to such disloyalty to his chief, as he quaintly called Miss Francis, I had to threaten him with instant discharge and blacklist before he came to his senses. I am sorry to say he turned out to be a completely unreliable young man, for the plane and its crew were never heard from again. A loss I felt deeply, for planes were becoming scarce in England.' as a matter of fact everything except illegal entrants who continued to evade the authorities was becoming scarce in england now the stocks of petroleum acquired from the last untouched wells and refineries and hoarded so zealously had been limited by the storage space available we had a tremendous amount of food on hand yet with our abnormally swollen population and the constant knowledge that the british isles were not agriculturally self-sufficient wartime rationing of the utmost stringency was resorted to the people accepted their hardships lightened by the hope given by miss francis's work in turn made possible only by me though i chafed at her procrastination and forced myself to swallow her incivilities I put my personal reactions aside and with hardly an exception turned over my entire scientific resources to Miss Francis, making all my research laboratories subordinate to her, subject only to a prudent check exercised by a governing board of practical businessmen. The government cooperated wholeheartedly, and thousands worked night and day devising possible variants of the basic compound and means of applying it under all conditions it was a race between the grass and the conquerors of the grass there was no doubt as to the outcome the only question now was how far the grass would get before it was finally stopped the second experiment was carried out on the south downs the containers were the same the ceremonious interchange repeated only the area staked out covered about four times as much ground as the first we departed as before leaving the meadow apparently unharmed returning to find the square dead and wasted. Once more I urged her to turn the compound directly upon the grass. What if it isn't perfected? What harm can it do? Maybe it's advanced enough to halt the grass, even if it doesn't kill it. She stabbed at her chest with a toothpick. Isn't it horrible to live in a world of intellectual sucklings? How can I explain what's going on? I have a basic compound in the same sense, in the same sense, let us say, that I know iodine to be a poison. Yes, that will do. If I wish to kill a man, some millionaire, and administer too little, far from acting as a poison, it will be positively beneficial. This is a miserably oversimplified analogy. Perhaps you will understand it. I was extremely dissatisfied, knowing as I did the rapidly worsening situation. The grass was in the Iberian Peninsula, in Provence, Burgundy, Lorraine, Champagne and Holland. The people were restive, no longer appeased by the tentative promise of redemption through Miss Frances' efforts. The BBC named a date for the first attack upon the grass, contradicted itself. Said sensible men would understand these matters couldn't be pinned down to hours and minutes. There were riots at Clydesdale and in South Wales, and I feared the looting of my warehouses in view of the terrible scarcity of food. It wasn't only the immediate situation which was bad, but the long-range one. Oil reserves in the United Kingdom were practically exhausted. So were non-native metals. Vital machinery needed immediate replacement. As soon as Miss Francis was ready to go into action, the strain upon our obsolescent technology and hunger-weakened manpower would be crippling. The general mood was not lightened by the clergy professionally gloating over approaching doom, nor by the speculations of the scientists, who were now predicting an insect and aquatic world. Man, they said, could not adapt himself to the grass. This was proved to the hilt by the tragedy of the Russian armies in the last war, but insects had, fishes didn't need to, and birds, especially those who nested above the snow line, might possibly be able to. Undoubtedly these orders could in time produce a creature equal, if not superior, to Homo sapiens, and the march of progress stood a chance to continue, after a hiatus of a few million years or so. The combination of these airy and abstract speculations, with their slowness to produce something tangible to help us at this crisis, first angered and then profoundly depressed me. I could only look upon the whole conglomeration scientists, politicians, common man and all as thoroughly irresponsible. I remembered how I had applied myself diligently toiling planning imagining to reach my present position and how a fraction of that effort if it had been exerted by these people could stop the grass overnight in this frame of mind my thoughts occupied themselves more and more with the idea i had uttered during my illness to write a history of the grass would at least afford me an escape from the daily irritation of concerning myself exclusively with the incompetents and blunderers not being the type of person to undertake anything i was not prepared to finish i thought it might be advisable to keep a journal first to get myself in the mood for the larger work and later to have a day-to-day account of momentous events as seen by someone uniquely connected with the grass july fourteenth lunch at checkers with the p m very gloomy says miss f may have to be nationalized Feeble joke by Undersecretary about nationalization of women proving unsuccessful during the Bolshevik Revolution. Ignoring this assured the PM we would get a more definite date from her during the week. Privately agreed her dilatoriness unpardonable. I shall speak to F tomorrow. Home by five. Gardener slovenly. Signs of neglect everywhere. Called in S and gave him a good going over said he was doing the best he could, Sighed for the good old days. Tony Preblesham would never have shuffled like that. Shall I have to get a new steward? And would he be any improvement? Very bored after dinner, almost decided to start the book, scribbled a few paragraphs. They didn't sound too bad. Sleep on it. July 15th. BBC this morning reported grass in the Ardennes this undoubtedly means a new influx from the continent the coastguard is practically powerless and we will be picked clean in spite of the news f absolutely refuses to set a definite date kept my temper with difficulty came home to be annoyed by mrs h telling me k one of the housemaids had been got into trouble by an undergardener asked Mrs. H. whether or not it wasn't her function as a housekeeper to take care of such details. Mrs. H. very tart, said in normal times she was perfectly capable of handling the situation, but with everything going to pieces she didn't know whether to turn off K. or the undergardener, or both, or neither. I thought her attitude toward me symptomatic of the general slackness and demoralization setting in all over. "'instructed her to discharge them both and not bother me again with such trivia. "'Tried to phone the PM, but the line was down. "'Another symptom. "'As a sort of refuge, went to the library and wrote for four solid hours, "'relating the origin of the grass. "'Feeling much better afterwards, rang for Mrs. H. "'and told her merely to give K. a leave of absence "'and discharge only the guilty undergardener. "'I could see she didn't approve my leniency.' July sixteenth, A maniac somehow got into the Ivies and forced his way into the library where I was writing. A horrible-looking fellow with a tortured face, he waved a pistol in front of me, ranting phrases reminiscent of old-fashioned soapbox oratory. I am not ashamed to admit nervousness, for this is not the first time my life has been threatened since attaining prominence. Happily, the madman's aim was as wild as his speech, and though he fired four shots, all lodged in the plaster. S., Mrs. H. and B., hearing the noise, rushed in and grabbed him. July 17th A little upset by the episode of the would-be assassin, I decided to go up to London for the day. The library would be unusable anyway, while the walls and ceiling were being repaired. July 18th Shaking experience. Can write no more at the moment. Later, I was walking in Regent Square when I saw her. As beautiful and mysterious as she was last time. But now my tongue was not tied. Oblivious to restraint and ridicule, I shouted, rushed after her. I. But really, that is all. I rushed after her, but she disappeared in the idle crowd. People looked at me curiously as I pushed and shoved, peering, crying, Wait, wait a minute! But she was gone. Still later. I shall go back to the Ivies tonight. If I stay longer in London, I fear I shall be subject to further hallucinations. If it was an hallucination, and not the strange lady herself. July 19th. Grass reported in Lyon. F. has new experiments scheduled for tomorrow. Despite upset condition, I wrote six pages of my history. The work of concentrating under the circumstances was terrific, but I feel repaid for my effort. I am the captain of my soul. S. says the cottager's no longer paying rent. Told him to evict them. End of Chapter 6 Part A